What's up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Built with Beck, your health and fitness podcast. I am super excited for this week's episode because I freaking love doing Q&As. It's a fun opportunity to get to cater to different topics as opposed to just doing a deep dive into one topic per episode. I typically will do Q&As on my Instagram story, but again, it's really fun to be able to take the questions that I get from question boxes or DMs or even client questions from check-ins and then apply them here to the podcast. So these questions are questions that were turned in through a Q&A box that I put up on my Instagram story a few weeks ago. So I'm gonna go through five questions this week and then we'll do another Q&A episode here in a couple of weeks as well. So I'll be answering five questions this week that were turned in through the question box on my Instagram story. But to give you a topic overview, we're gonna be discussing tips for working out with an injury. Second, we'll be chatting about an ideal rate of fat loss during a fat loss phase, during a deficit. The third question relates to experiencing food guilt, even when learning to track macros. The fourth question is going to talk about adding back the calories burned um, that you know your fitness tracker says that you've burned. Do we add those calories back during a dieting phase? And then the fifth and final question is going to be asking if we can build muscle and lose body fat at the same time. So let's just get right on into it. Question number one said, quote, tips for working out with a minor injury, tweaked my knee last week, but don't feel like I need to take a full week off. So my default answer anytime I'm asked about an injury is always going to be ask your doctor or your physical therapist. I don't want to overstep and I'm not one to give advice outside of my scope, but like the person said in their question, it's a minor injury, they just tweaked their knee. So I can give some tips for working with a minor injury. The general rule of thumb that I like to follow with those pesky injuries like a tweak or a pinch or like a rolled ankle or something is to work around an injury, not through it. So if you feel like, okay, I was walking yesterday and I rolled my ankle and it's super uncomfortable, let's not push through it. Let's not push a leg day right after that, but we could work around it, right? Like it sounds like, oh, okay, if you rolled your ankle, let's just make it tomorrow an upper body day, right? Hit arms, hit back, hit chest something where we're working, again, around the injury, not through it. So another example, if you have like a tweaked knee, um, like the person mentioned in their question, see if you can go ahead and hit an arm day, right? We don't wanna be, again, pushing through the injury, more so working around it. If you tweaked your wrist, you could probably do a modified leg day. And when I say modified, I mean if you have an upper body injury, but then you plan to do things like deadlifts or anything where you're carrying or bearing the weight with your upper body, probably still not a great idea. So I would be careful with injuries surrounding major joints. Like if you injured your shoulder and then you wanna go in and hit a leg day, but your leg day has back squats and heavy carries and RDLs and deadlifts and things of that nature, I'd probably say sub those movements for less weight-bearing movements where you're not having to carry a weight or use your shoulder, use your upper body. So you could sub for things like a leg press, right? Or a leg extension where your shoulder's not necessarily being used, your shoulder's not having to bear any kind of weight and things of that nature. So my default, again, is to check with your doctor or PT. If that's all fine, then go ahead and work around the injury, not through it. But I will also kind of throw this little tidbit in there one thing that I caution anyone to work through or around is any type of back injury or neck. Anything that's near your spinal cord, anything that is really just related to your spine at all, I would just say take it easy. Just don't lift, go for a walk, maybe do a little bit of light cycling, something to get some blood flow and some movement in. But we use our core, we use our back, we use our muscles, our, all of those things 
for any other type of exercise. So if you tweaked your back, if you tweaked your neck, I would say lay off on the lifts for a couple days. Wait until you have one full day where you feel great, then get back to the gym. I think where people miss the mark sometimes is they wait so badly to be ready to go to the gym again. And it's like the first day that they start feeling somewhat better, they go ahead and get a lift in. Don't rush it. Don't rush your body. So let's say you tweaked your back or you tweaked your neck or you tweaked your knee or something on a Thursday. You take Friday, Saturday, Sunday off. And by the time Sunday rolls around, you feel good. You feel normal. I would give yourself a full day to feel good, to feel normal. Get back to lifting on Monday just to make sure that everything is fine and dandy. Question two is what's an ideal rate of weight loss in a deficit? So there is gonna be kind of a standard answer that I'll give, but then I am gonna elaborate a little bit more because like any any answer in health and fitness, it depends, right? So with that being said, the kind of rule of thumb or the guideline that most people follow is gonna be looking for anywhere from half a pound to a pound of body fat per week. This is a generalization. There will be people who see slower rates of fat loss and there will be people who see more accelerated rates of fat loss. Now, a couple of other factors to consider when asking yourself, okay, what rate of fat loss can I expect in this deficit? Um, it's gonna depend on a couple of things. Number one, it's obviously gonna depend on how steep your deficit is. So if we understand that maintenance is a range, right? And any intake below your maintenance range is going to be a calorie deficit, but the size of the deficit, if you will, or the intensity of the deficit is going to directly impact the rate of fat loss that you see. So obviously more extreme calorie deficits are going to produce higher rates or quicker rates of fat loss. Now there are trade-offs there, so don't think that that means there's you know only pros and no cons. And then a slower deficit where you're just barely eating below your maintenance is gonna show slower um, rates of fat loss and like lower rates in general of fat loss, but there are obviously gonna be some pros to that as well. So a couple of other considerations to make because let me tell you, I've worked with tons and tons of women at this point who've gone through fat loss phases, women with all different histories, preferences, lifestyles, goals, body compositions, exercise routines, and things of that nature. And I have seen women who do fall into that half a pound to a pound rate loss, rate of fat loss per week. And I've also seen women who lose it a little bit quicker than that at certain parts of their deficit. I've seen women who seem to see um, like less frequent change on the scale. So I do wanna outline a couple of those considerations to make because I do think that it can be really easy to hear numbers thrown out and hear generalizations and feel like, wait, but that's not what my experience was, like what's wrong with me or what was wrong with how I did things. So I just wanna let you know if you've done a deficit, maybe you're doing a deficit right now and you're like, wait, I have not seen that rate of weight loss per week or why did I see that rate of weight loss per week at the beginning and not now or vice versa? Well, let me kind of walk through some of these considerations with you. Consideration number one is the amount of body fat that you have to lose when you're doing your calorie deficit. If you are in a smaller body, if you're already a pretty lean individual, you will likely see a slower rate of weight loss than someone who is in a bigger body. There's a couple of factors at play here, but the main one that I wanna point out is just the difference in calorie intake. So let's compare two individuals who, let's just say, are both doing a dieting phase at the same time, and this will hopefully illustrate the point that I'm trying to make here. Person number one weighs 185 pounds and they maintain their body weight at 2,700 calories, okay? Person number two weighs 135 pounds and they maintain their body weight at 2,100 calories. 
Now you might think, okay, both of these people will go into a dieting phase and if they're in the same measure of a deficit, right, like the same degree of a deficit, they should see the exact same rate of weight loss. Doesn't always work that way. And again, there's a couple of different factors at play here, but think for example of the adherence required for certain calorie intakes. So let's say that we put both person A and person B into an, um, a 15% deficit, which is pretty standard starting point for a calorie deficit. This would put person A at a dieting intake of 2,300 calories, and it would put person B at a dieting intake of 1,785 calories. All right, so obviously some differences here. So there's obviously gonna be some differences here that could come into play as far as like adherence goes. But yeah, your starting weight is definitely a factor of the rate of weight loss or fat loss that you can expect. But generally speaking, you could aim for half a pound to a pound per week. Some other considerations could be the timing of where you are in your calorie deficit. Um, and this is gonna, again, be dependent on the person. Some people, when they go into a dieting phase, they see a pretty steep drop in body weight right out the gate, like weeks one and two, they lose like three or four pounds. But then after that, their bodies kind of level out and the rate of weight loss slows. This is not really indicative of actual body fat loss. This is more so indicative of water weight lost and glycogen stores being depleted and things of that nature. So some people, like I said, when they lower their calories, right off the bat, their body weight goes down and then it tends to level out. So for those people, they might see really quick rates of fat loss at the beginning of their deficit and then it tapers off a little bit as they get further into the deficit. Other people though, they might lower their calories and for the first two or three weeks, they barely see any change. A number of different factors would impact this um, and it really just varies based on the person. But after let's say like two or three weeks of stable weight, sometimes then they'll see like a whoosh, which is just a kind of a lingo in the fitness world of like, oh, your weight just all of a sudden drops. So it really does depend on the person. I have had clients who are fall into both categories really. So just kind of a rule of thumb and something that I practice with my clients, we put them in a deficit at first, let's say you go into a 15% deficit, um, take your maintenance calories, multiply it by 0.85, you've then got your 15% deficit. Hold steady there for four weeks, and then at the end of four weeks, compare your average weight every week, compare your progress photos, and compare your measurements. If one or multiple of those three measures have changed over the course of the four weeks, and obviously meaning you've lost weight, your photos look different, your measurements have shown, if any of those are true, then you are in a calorie deficit, and I wouldn't make any changes yet. But if at the end of four weeks, you're like, okay, I'm not really seeing any changes in any of these measures, then number one, be honest with yourself. Have you been as adherent as you need to be? And if you have been adherent, then number two, you're not truly in a calorie deficit, so you need to lower food, increase movement, or some of both. So just things to consider there. And then the third consideration I wanna to touch on in terms of rate of weight loss, and this sounds kind of funny, so let me elaborate, is the type of calorie deficit that you're in. And this is kind of piggybacking off of um, number two, but we're talking about this like rate of weight loss, right? And if you go into a calorie deficit by intentionally eliminating carbs, if you wanna cut your carb intake super, super low, keep in mind, any calorie deficit, regardless of how you achieve the deficit, the calorie deficit is responsible for fat loss. So you can absolutely eat a ton of carbs and as long as you're still in a deficit, you'll see weight loss. But some people do like to cut carbs way back when going into a dieting phase. If you are that person, because carbs cause us to hold on to more water stored, water in our muscles through glycogen, things like that, 
if you have a really, really low carb day, you'll notice your weight will likely drop. Again, like the reason number two, that's not indicative of true fat loss, that's water weight. But if you have someone who's used to eating like 250 to 300 grams of carbs per day, and then because they wanna go into a dieting phase, they drop down to like 150 grams of carbs per day, their water weight is going to go down drastically. So again, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's body fat that they've lost, it's not, but you would see movement on the scale in that way. So wrap this question up. On average, very, very general average, you're looking for half a pound to a pound of body fat per week. There are some considerations. There are always gonna be some outliers. So things to consider is the starting body weight that you're at, where you are in your deficit, and if you're doing anything specific like lowering carbs to achieve the calorie deficit. Question number three, I'm trying to track my macros, but I'm still feeling food guilt. Tips? Okay, there's a couple of things to unpack here. Three things mostly that came to the top of my mind when I was going through this question. So if you are attempting to track your macros, we know that macro tracking is often touted as like a really positive way to embark on a fitness journey without eliminating foods that you enjoy right macros is known for like if it fits your macros or like you can fit any food into your macros and really learning that protein carbs and fats all play a role in health and you have wiggle room for things that you enjoy and stuff like that yada 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 but don't feel like you're a failure if you're trying to track your macros and you still have that little lingering voice in the back of your head that makes you feel guilty when you fit certain foods into your day of eating. There are three kind of um, points I want to elaborate here and they kind of vary so I don't know which of these will appeal to you the most or apply to you the most but let's start with number one. If you are trying to track your macros and you're still experiencing some food guilt, this might be because even though you're trying to fit the foods that you love into your diet, you're still associating foods as good or bad. Good foods and bad foods. Yeah, like, yeah, I can have the chocolate, but only at the end of the day for my dessert. Or like, I can only have chocolate in this small amount after I eat all of the other good foods, right? This is an example of like a subconscious food rule where yes, maybe you're allowing yourself to have a little bit of chocolate because you're trying to overcome those like that food guilt, you know, but if you're still operating with these underlying food rules of I can only have this at this time of day or I can only have the dessert if I worked out that day, you're still enforcing those subconscious food rules. So if this is you and you're like, wait, I kind of do that and like I do experience some food guilt when I have chocolate on a rest day or if I have like dessert after lunch or if I have, you name it, whatever. If this resonates with you, a tip that I would give you is to practice allowing yourself to have the treat or have the food or have the drink or whatever at different times of day. So just for an example, yesterday I had pre-logged to have like this little ice cream bar at the end of the night. Um, I'm tracking right now and so I like to pre-log my food. I log it either the night before or the day, like the morning of, so I know what my day of eating looks like and there's not really any surprises. So I had already planned to have this little like ice cream bar um, and then like one of those like mini, like mini chocolate bars, like a mini Milky Way um, for dessert that night. And after lunch, I was, it was just one of those days where I was like, I just want something sweet. And I had already tracked my day. I didn't feel like moving things around. So I just had my little chocolate bar after lunch. And I was like, great, I want this right now, so I'm gonna eat this right now. 
Whereas in the past, I would not have done that. In the past, it was like, okay, now I'm going to let myself eat sugar, like, you know, not sugar-free, but eat the real thing, but only after dinner or only on days that I work out. Like that was, that was me. So now practicing, like if I want the food, I'm going to show myself it can fit in my macros and I'm going to eat it when I want it. That can be a powerful tool. Another kind of category or like bucket, if you will, that I can recall of why you might be experiencing food guilt while still tracking macros would be falling into this scarcity versus abundance mindset. And this is the idea that we want what we tell ourselves we can't have, right? So even though you're allowing yourself to have a little bit of chocolate at the end of the day, you still subconsciously feel like you're restricting the sweet, right? Like, yeah, sure, you're letting yourself have the piece of chocolate, but you're never letting yourself have more than one piece, and you still feel guilty when you're eating it. Like, yeah, you can have some, but only one piece, or again, only when you're working out, or whatever. And often I have found that that manifests itself into what I call with my clients macro hoarding, where you're like saving a bunch of macros for the end of the day, Oh my gosh, this was so me. I used to like eat the lowest possible calorie breakfast, the lowest calorie lunch, the lowest calorie dinner so that I could have this like big balling out dessert at the end of the night. And so I would still feel like kind of guilty almost. Like I still felt like I didn't have true food freedom because I was still restricting my eating for the sake of having sweets. Um, so in that, I mean, I was making sure that I was almost overcompensating If I wanted the dessert, I had to eat like super, super low calorie meals for the remainder of the day. So if this is you, I would encourage you to try taking your overall calorie total during the day and divide it by the number of meals that you plan to eat. Don't allow yourself to fall into that habit of macro hoarding where you're eating super low calorie foods to make up for eating a lot more food at the end of the night even though it seems like a, like a useful strategy, you know, of like, oh, I'm tracking my macros and making room for the food I want, it can subconsciously, again, reinforce that food rule that if you want the dessert, you have to eat less during the day. And that's not going to be helpful for improving your relationship with food. So I would encourage you to eat more during the first half of the day, eat more well-balanced, well-rounded meals, and you'll probably find that by the end of the day, because you've been feeding yourself well earlier in the day, yeah, you totally will still likely want the dessert or something sweet. Part of that also is just due to patterns and habits that we've reinforced over time. But you'll likely find after a couple of days or a couple of weeks of eating more balanced meals leading up to dessert, you'll probably find that you're craving it less simply because you've been well fed throughout the remainder of the day. And then lastly, the third little category I thought of is just give it time. Let's say you're 25 years old and you're tracking your macros and you feel like you're still experiencing food guilt at the end of the day. Your relationship with food, and 25 is not old, okay? I'm 25 and I feel like an actual fetus. 25 is not old. And still, if you're 25 years old and you're tracking your food, your relationship with food has been forming over years and years of conditioned thought patterns and behaviors. Like I remember having thoughts of food or like I remember having a tricky relationship with food as early as fourth grade like I remember knowing what calories were when I was in fourth grade and not I mean I didn't know scientifically what calories were I just remember having an association of calories not being a good thing when I was in elementary school so if that's true for me if I was what like 10 years old and I'm 25 
my if my relationship with food has been drilled into my head over the span of 15 years a couple weeks or a couple months or honestly even just a year of macro tracking isn't necessarily going to totally undo that give yourself some time to truly realize that you can enjoy the foods that you love and still make progress i would also probably encourage you depending on how much you're struggling in your relationship with food to take some time away from dieting. I think it's valuable for everyone, regardless of your history with food, your history with tracking. Truly spending months eating at maintenance is a really positive thing, not just for your body physically, but it can also be really great for yourself psychologically to realize how good we feel when we're adequately fed, how much flexibility we have when we're adequately fed. You have more trust in your hunger signals, more trust in your body. So. Those are my three answers um, for trying to track macros but still feeling food guilt. Question number four then, should I add back the calories burned during my workouts? I'm in a dieting phase right now. Nope, you should not. If you have a calorie goal that you're pursuing for a fat loss goal, that calorie goal will already be accounting for your activity level. So if you're trying to eat back calories that you believe you've burned, you're probably just putting yourself right back up at maintenance, but also fitness trackers are incredibly, 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 incredibly inaccurate when it comes to determining the number of calories that you've burned during exercise. So don't exercise to burn calories, exercise to improve your strength, your endurance, your mental health, your, you know, get some endorphins pumping, exercise for fun. And if you want to control your body weight, do that through tracking calories consumed. Okay. And then the fifth and final question is, can you lose fat and build muscle at the same time? I want to tone up and I know building muscle is a part of that. First of all, 10 out of 10, building muscle is absolutely part of being toned. And to answer your question, yes, you can absolutely lose fat and build muscle at the same time. This is referred to as body recomposition. I have a pretty in-depth podcast episode on this, which I will link in the show notes. Body recomposition is, again, the idea of losing fat and building muscle at the same time. This is done through eating at maintenance or eating in a very slight calorie deficit while really prioritizing strength training, eating high protein, things of that nature. I will say to body recomp, you have to be patient. And it's also more favorable if you are a newbie. If you have been lifting heavy, seriously, and being intentional about nutrition for like a year and a half or less, you're considered a newbie, so you can still reap the benefits of what are called newbie gains, which is just the idea that your body has yet had adequate time to fully adapt to the stimulus of lifting heavy, eating high protein, things like that. So if you are a more experienced lifter, a more experienced trainer, then you will likely need to go through full circuits of periodization. So calorie deficit, maintenance, calorie surplus, where you're putting all of your attention into one goal at a time, i.e. all of your attention into a building phase and then all of your attention into a fat loss phase. But if you're a newbie, you will see plenty of results with body recomposition. So eating at maintenance, maybe slightly lower in a calorie deficit, um, prioritizing strength training, prioritizing your protein intake, and you should be good to go. So that's it for this week's Q&A episode. I hope that these questions were useful for you. Whether or not you're the person who asked them, I feel like we can all learn something from other people and see what other people are curious about. So if you have any questions, if you have follow-up questions, don't hesitate to reach out. My contact info is always in the show notes. But that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.